Good evening, Gasheads, and welcome to this week's episode of Gascast. I'm your host, Max Alderson, joined on the line by Simon Gray. Hi, Simon. Hi, Max. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Good, good. Uh, lots to talk about this week in this Q&A edition of Gascast. Uh, you guys sent in your questions to us. We're going to spend the next 40 to 40 to 45 minutes sort of talking through them and doing our best to answer all the questions you've sent in, um, of which there are there are lots because obviously it's been a controversial week after that result against Bolton, which saw Rovers lose 2-0 at home to a side that hadn't picked up a single point on the road as of yet. Um, let's jump straight in. Uh, Craig Pynchon has sent in a question. Um, I'll, I'll ask you this one, Simon. He says, do you think Graham needs to be more flexible with his tactics, as in have a plan B if plan A isn't working? Well, yeah, I think um, Graham should really have a plan B, really, because most managers should have a plan B, given the fact that plan A seems to be that 3-5-2 with a JCH that's lumping it up to him. And obviously, with, without JCH in the side, it um, falls to uh, one of the other strikers that we don't really have that uh, that presence up front of a, of a long ball diagonal team. So, I guess he should, well, yeah, he should have a plan B, but it's it's up to him what that plan B would really be. I mean, given the fact that most teams' plan B will be a long ball side, in my opinion, it kind of almost begs the question if we've already tried plan A and, and the three-five-two formation is actually our plan B, if you, if you get what I mean, Max. Yeah, I sort of get what you mean. So most teams will, will have like a more... Uh, expansive style possession based style as their plan A and when that doesn't work they'll revert to like a defensive long ball is that what you're sort of getting at? Exactly what I'm getting at to be honest so yeah. I feel like at the start of the season we were playing when we when we were at a back four we were trying to pass it around teams and as soon as that didn't work we almost came across this 3-5-2 formation um, and JCH came back into the side after injury and it and it sort of clicked and we had that un- uh, unbeaten run of six, seven games. So it's almost like we fell into that. And, and now, with, especially with uh, Tuesday night when Bolton played a, f- a forward front three of, uh, of Dodu, uh, Murphy and uh, Chris O'Grady on the left, they're, they're three strikers in, in their own right. So I feel like Graham's almost found out uh, by a more experienced manager in Keith Hill on Tuesday night. So it would have been nice to, to maybe change something up, especially when it wasn't working at half-time, maybe take maybe one of the centre-backs off, in, in my opinion, and, and maybe bring a... almost play maybe Luke Lee on the, on the left left side of midfield and just try something new, given the fact that our um, 3-5-2 wasn't working at that point. Yeah, I agree, and definitely I think we should have changed it up because it, it was obvious it... it didn't work and I think we've seen that formation change the only time we've really done it was when Wimbledon went down to 10 men we changed to a 4-4-2 then and put Leahy at left midfield like you just said uh, and then we scored two goals so in, I think there is an alternative plan there but I think whilst we were grinding out those results those one nils those two ones I think he was sort of hesitant to change it up because it was working um, and I think as the season goes on he may have to come up with an alternative formation because like you say, teams may find us out. Yeah, I know exactly what I mean. But then again, we've got to think of Graham. Is, is, although he's been a coach for uh, 
five, ten years. He this is his first full season in in management, actually managing a football side. So he's learning as well. Um, so we have we have to give him a chance to almost have these types of results and and learn from them. Hopefully, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, got a question here from Gascast's own Oli Nino. He says, have we become easy for opposition managers to prepare for by playing 3-5-2 every game? And could a change of shape help us to get through whilst JCH and Circum are out? So that's sort of two questions there. Let's, let's address the first one. I, I guess that sort of links back to what you were saying about Keith Hill being a more experienced manager. Do you think that we have been easy to sort of prepare against now? I think we weren't to start with because I think we were playing our, our, our own game and and. Being a well-drilled defensive side, we were tough to to break down, and, and most managers in our division, and most sides in our division, were finding it tough to break us down. But it took a, a very experienced Bolton side, like um, like Graham said in the in the interview in uh, in his post-match, saying that most of that Bolton side were in the Championship last season. So it was a very different Bolton side to what started the started the match in the division, and I feel like. Now one manager has done it. It may be possible. It may be like a, an ongoing effect where more managers will try something new that will combat us. And and so in that sense, I think maybe it will um, it will become sort of a predictable formation more and more. That's why we do kind of need a plan B as well um, because we need to show other teams that we can do something else if you know what I mean yeah yeah absolutely um yeah again again I was just going to say as well um that that change of shape question will be obvious for me because given the fact that we've lost that creativity with Circum in the midfield because the the couple of games that he played in that in that midfield three with a go-go and ups and we looked much better uh, with the ball and him and JCH kind of had a, a couple of uh, a couple of one-two situations where he would uh, pass the right ball through to to JCH and he'd finish off like in in the game against MK Dons. He did just that. Um, so maybe, like I said, a four across the middle. Um, four, even even going back to basics and going four four two would would probably change things up and it would start to start to solve some of the issues in my opinion. But but I, I am interested. in hearing what you would like to say about this as well. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think it's not working without JCH. I mean, those two strikers, as much as I do like Smith, um, he's he needs to play off a bigger man. Um, he runs those channels really well, but he needs someone big to sort of pull those defenders apart so he has space to run into. Um, when we've got him and Nichols up front, they're just too similar. And they need the ball straight to their feet every time. And we're still playing those long cross-field diagonal balls, um, which isn't going straight to their feet, which they're struggling to control when they've got often six foot two, six foot three centre-backs marking them. So the the front two isn't working because obviously we don't have our, our main man. But I think even just having a big man there would make a big difference. Um, that's something we need to look at in January, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's Circum missing is a, is a big miss. And I don't think Ollie Clark's really plugging that hole um, in a creative sense, um, because he just uh, watching that game against Bolton, I don't really see what Ollie Clark did for 
90 minutes. It was um, really frustrating because you've got those two defensive-minded players in Upson and Agogo who, who win the ball, but then you need somebody in that hole to drive forwards. And without Circum there and without JCH up front, I don't really see what our identity as a side is. Um, plus the fact that we had Michael Kelly at left wing back rather than Leahy, who was more of a defensive-minded left back. We just seemed to have no sort of cohesion or, or structure to us at all because um, Kelly was too far back. The centre-backs had to come over and help him because he was struggling with Dudu. And that, um, that le- left massive space, um, which Bolton exploited. Davies often was up against two two forward players at once. And that's where they sort of scored the first goal through the space that they, they were able to exploit. So so really, without those two players, it's sort of the shape's falling in on itself, especially with Leahy not on the side as well. Hopefully he's back on Saturday. Um, but a change of shape might be an option. I don't see any reason why we can't play 4-4-2. Upson and Agogo are very solid midfielders. I don't think we necessarily need that creative midfielder in a 4-4-2 if you've got the wingers. Um, but I'm not really sure we do. I mean, Rodman's pretty good on wing, but left wing, maybe we play Leahy there. I'm not sure. Um, that's obviously a, a, a something that Graham's going to have to figure out if he, if he does want to change it up, because I'm not sure we've got all the right pegs for all the right holes, so to speak. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, moving. I was going to say, moving on to a similar question. Um, George Clements asks, with a range of injuries, is it time for a formation change? I guess that sort of notes back to the last question, but um, touching more on the injury side of things, do you think we've got an abnormally large amount of injuries for this stage of the season? I think we did. Uh, I mean, with, given the fact that uh, only two, three games ago we had... Um, we had Circum go off, Upson go off, and that obviously Cameron Hargreaves had to come on in, in that place in in sense of some youth. Um, with Mark Little out as well, Ollie Clark was out for some time, and obviously we've got the big miss in JCH and and Josh Hare up, 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 is apparently out for most of the season um, after his, his um, was it the ACL that he did? Um, it's it not was. really been confirmed. I think it may be though because it's been so quiet and you do hear whispers um, I think it may be his ACL or maybe not like completely torn but damaged yeah so like like I said it seems like it's been a, a lengthy injury um, spell for, for most of the players obviously we've hopefully got um, Holmes Dennis back, back soon um, given the fact that he, he's been up since um, the end of last season as well I mean but like I said that was a few games ago now we're, we're having um, that champ of Little back and up some back and hopefully Circum back up very soon. Wally Clark is back, although there are, are some um, some rumours that is he actually still carrying that knot, which is making his game, put his game off a little bit. It's unsure on that. But I, I think given given the fact that there are those injuries still at the club, there almost needs to be a formation change because you can't continue to play three centre-backs and three centre-midfielders when you only have four centre-backs and four centre-midfielders if you count... Um, well, five centre-midfielders if you count uh, Hargreaves as well. So it's almost like we don't have a squad depth so depth enough, if you know what I mean, that we've got those types of players in that in those, in this formation of the 3 5 two. It just almost screams to me that we've got not a big enough squad 
given the amount of injuries, if you know what I mean. Yeah, there's definitely a lack of depth, and I think that's sort of mostly down to how hamstrung the budget is on, on a couple of players. I think, like, we've spoken before on the podcast that Circum, Nichols, Bennett, these are massive big earners in our squad, probably the highest earners in our squad, but some of the lowest uh, output in terms of performance. Um, and until we get rid of those players, you know, for those three players, we could probably get five five or six in, maybe. Um, maybe not of the same, well, I, I was going to say not of the same quality, but those three players don't have massive outputs in terms of what they offer in terms of goals and assists and creativity. Circum probably more so now he's found that natural position at, at Cam where he's best suited to. Um, but Nichols and Bennett definitely we can we can get a lot better for a lot cheaper and a lot younger. So um, I think we'll start to see if we can get those players out a bit more depth and a bit more cover for these injuries. Um, but I don't see what there's any reason why we can't dip into our youth team and, and give some players a go because this is a season where let's be honest we're not going to go up um, and we're probably not going to go down. So surely it's a good opportunity to maybe play Hargreaves uh, in in place of maybe Ollie Clark if he is carrying that knock. What do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, given the fact that uh, when Hargreaves came on against MK Dons, he actually looked very good and, and looked accustomed to, to the side, even though he only played about 20, 25 minutes. It looked like he, he could fit in well in that department. And we've also got other youngsters in the side where we've had, we had Tomlinson and, and Luke Hall play throughout pre-season and, and really impress um, some fans. So, it would be nice for us to look at that youth, even even if we've still got the, the likes of Bennett and Nichols in the, in the in the squad. We don't have to play them. Like we've got the the youth in the in the side to come up and, and really step up. And Graham can say, "Now's your chance." I've, I've dropped an experienced player who isn't really cutting at the moment and brought in you to make a difference. Yeah, that'd be good to see, and I think that's what all sort of fans want to see: um, youth coming through. Um, question from James Monte Monteith. I probably said that wrong. Um, he says, "What do you think the players are being told tactically? Surely the staff aren't encouraging booting up the ball to our short forwards. And why is almost every player reluctant to go forward with the ball at their feet?" It's a very good question. I I think that this is a case where they are told tactically to to try and play football, but as soon as there's not that, there's not that, there's a lack of confidence almost when they do go forward with the ball, meaning that when they do lose it, and especially at home where there's generally not that kind of feel good factor at the moment, so it is quiet at times. And as soon as a player loses the ball, you can, you you would be able to hear on the pitch the groans from from half of the stadium. Really, fair fair enough. In, in certain cases, like when I remember on Tuesday night when Upson was was trying to do something and he, he placed, placed a, mis, a misplaced pass and then won it back and everyone was like, okay, fair enough. And then he placed a, another misplaced pass almost 10 seconds later and the crowd really got on, on on the backs of the players given the fact that we were losing the game. I think that, back to the question though, we are Graham is telling them a system to play and they are trying it. But the almost defensive mechanism going in going into the minds of the players is that they don't want the ball to so often, and they will just lump it forward to try and find that find that killer pass, try and get the ball forward quickly. But sometimes getting the ball forward quickly isn't always the right answer. 
Yeah, and I definitely think it's the case that we don't have the, especially the midfield three, don't have that technical one-touch ability to pass themselves out of trouble. Um, I definitely think that at the first sign of danger, they almost do sort of look up for Johnson and hoof it up in that direction rather than try and turn a player and, and, and pass around them in the triangles. That's definitely something we don't really do um, that I see other teams do to us. And that's, I think, primarily because we don't have that style of central midfielder at the club. Maybe Circum, but the others, not so much. Um, and again, that just points to the fact that we definitely need to go out and get that kind of player in January um, so that we can almost... We can be more versatile because right now we are a one-trick pony, um, not just because we're, we're one team, a one a one-man team, but also because we only have one real style of playing, um, and long term that's not really going to work out. Um, as for why the players are sort of reluctant to go forwards with the ball at their feet, um, I'm not sure. I massively agree. I think the the wing backs do, um, the wing backs do get forward. Uh, dribble with the ball and, and get down the byline um, the forwards I think Smith does run the channels quite well um, and Upson when he gets the ball he does like to sometimes drive forward so I do think we do carry the ball quite well I just think maybe that final pass isn't quite there what do you think? I, I completely agree with you to be honest I, I think that given the fact that we have that midfield three in Agogo Upson and Oli Clark on Tuesday night there isn't that much positivity in the way that uh, Ollie Clark and Agogo will go. Like Agogo will charge around and, and and do his best to try and win the ball back. But the one player that um, that does try and uh, spread the ball is Ed Upson. And if he's having a poor game like he did on a, a Tuesday night, which we haven't said for most of the season, he's had a very good start to the season. But if he has a poor game, then, then that creativity does dip below, below a level that uh, fans would, would like to see. Um, it's given the fact that we maybe had a more creative midfielder in, in, in cross lines last season, it just shows that sometimes when you don't have that one creative player in the side, it really means that any chance you do get, you're going to have to take. But like, like we like we said, I mean, given the fact that if we have that. Uh, we don't have JCH on the side and, and we're going to have very few chances. We've got Nichols and, and Smith and Adebayejo all, all chomping at the bit to, to get those two starting places. But, I mean, we can lead right onto it, to be honest. Um, we've got some questions here uh, regarding Tom Nichols, uh, given the fact that he uh, missed a penalty against Doncaster on, uh, on Saturday and then also missed uh, a chance in the early moment against Bolton on Tuesday do we now think that given the fact that I'm sure you may have heard in in the black end that there were some cheers when Nichols was subbed um, in the Bolton game do you think that Tom Nichols does deserve all the criticism criticism that he gets Um, I think it's difficult It's, it's, it's difficult to be critical without being personal um, because I think for a lot of people it is personal now because um, he's been with the club for so long um, and they pay a lot of money to watch him week in week out that it's just I think it's now got to the point where the frustration has boiled over and the patience has run out um, and 
especially given what was happening on the pitch against Bolton, I we were one 0 down, and the fact that he missed the penalty last week, I think it would just it was a, it was a, it was a tipping point for a lot of people. Um, I have to admit, myself included, um, I've always been a supporter of Tom Nichols, and I always support any player who wears the quarters. But I, I find that sort of mantra is being tested, if you like, um, because I'm struggling to support him as a player when he is just getting the basics wrong. He's he's such a good technical player with a good head on his shoulders. But for the past, I don't know, six or seven games, he's just not even been able to do the most basic of things. Miscontrolling the ball under no pressure, overthinking things, missing chances. The penalty sort of summed it up for me because having won that penalty, he needed to score that penalty, not just for the team, but for himself, especially given the run he's been on without the goal. And, you know, if you if you really, really need to score that penalty, as a player, you do everything you can to make sure that you make it difficult for that goalkeeper. But for me, Tom Nichols did not make it difficult for the keeper. He just picked a side, put it there with not much power, and the keeper guessed right. You know, I just don't, I can't understand why he didn't sort of give 100% to that penalty and drive it as, as, as hard as he could into one of the corners. He needed that goal for himself, and he just didn't, look hungry enough for it and he should be hungry for that because he's on the worst run of his career he needs goals not for himself not just for the team but for himself and his career going forwards because who's realistically going to want to sign him after this it's um it's it's going to be a, it's a long road back for him and as 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 for does he deserve the criticism he gets um as a player yeah he does deserve the criticism as a person he doesn't deserve the abuse that he he got on Tuesday, no, that was some of it was, um, some of it was was over the top and reactionary, and uh, some of it was was disgusting to be honest. But the criticism as a player, a hundred percent, he's had enough chances for me. We've we've seen him play around a hundred games overall, and his output is what three or four goals, and he's not even doing the basic stuff right anymore. The stuff that traditionally I would say he is good at, he's not got that anymore. Um, and for me, he's a player who. <sighs> When his head drops, he doesn't recover for the whole game. And you saw that against Bolton. He missed that chance on five minutes. And you could just see his head drop. And for the rest of the game, he was miscontrolling the ball. The crowd were getting on his back and that was affecting him. And he just doesn't seem mentally strong enough to make it as a as a footballer at this level. And it, it's just the most baffling case of a player I've ever seen in all my time watching football. No, I completely understand your point there, Max. I mean, given like 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 you said, there is a, there is a line between criticism that is completely valid of, of Tom Nichols and abuse. So, it, it, like abuse shouldn't be tolerated at any level at the football club. To be honest with you, I I think that the criticism is is warranted. Um, as a striker, you, everyone looks at your goals, and if you're looking at goals, the Tom Nichols, like you said, score five goals in, in over a hundred games for us. It begs the question is is he just a confidence player or is he not good enough at this level and I mean I'll, I'll just read you something that, uh, that Graham said after the game on Tuesday on Nichols he's in after the game against um, against Bolton on Tuesday he said uh, he's one of our own he's one of the lads same with some of the other lads he wasn't the only one who made mistakes tonight and I just think some of those, some of that, some of those opinions on 
and some of the other players would have gone over a few um, gone over a few Rovers fans' heads in the way that they would have been like if Kilgore had um, a, a below par game or if someone like JCH had a below par game everyone would be like okay yeah that's fair enough they're, they're, they're due a below par game but given the fact that Nicholas has had the two and a half years at the football club that he has had in, in not scoring that many goals and and almost having that criticism the whole time, if you know what I mean. It, I think the criticism is completely deserved. Yeah. As you said, the abuse is just just intolerable, really. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Like he has good games. Some players do have below par games, but when I look at Nichols over those 100 games, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say I think about 70% of them have been below par performances. Do you think that's a fair comment from me, or do you think? Do you think people I'd just? Say, I, I'm, I'm surprised at the comment coming from you, Max. Given the fact that for the last few years you've been a, a great supporter of Nichols and, and trying to, trying to uh, remain enthusiastic, saying that he will become good. I'm just, I am, I am a little surprised that you said seventy percent. I, I would completely agree with the point. Um, I'm just surprised it's come from you. you know. Yeah, I'm, I've always been positive about him because I've always seen that ability. But if you look overall, his output just isn't there. And the influence he has on games is is quite often not enough. And I think, you know, had we even played a youth player there for a hundred games, I think they may have done better than Nichols has done. It's it's a really bizarre case of a player, and I, I, people often say he'll probably go somewhere else and score twenty goals. I just don't see it. I don't see it with him. I think he's a he's a confidence player massively, but he's a confidence player who doesn't have the ability to get himself going um, because his confidence is being a confidence player is his own downfall because he always seems to miss a chance early on and his head will drop and then it's over. So he's almost in a downward spiral, if you like. And I don't think he's got the ability or maybe even the mentality to get to stop that downward momentum and and get going again, unless he maybe drops a couple of, a couple of divisions. Um, I, I can't see him scoring 20 goals at league two, like he did for Exeter. I just, I just don't see it. Um, no, I don't know what you mean. And, and oh, go on. If you want. No, I was going to move on, but if you've got another point. No, no, I, I was also going to move on. So I was going to okay, say, cool. move, yeah. moving on from that to fit in with the with the whole um, whether he's done at the football club. Our very own uh, Gascast, very own uh, Tom Metcalf has, has had a short and sweet question: Is it the end of the line for Nichols? So I just wanted to get your opinion on that. Yeah, I think it is the end of the line. I think that Bolton game was the end. I think the the tipping point from the fans sort of summed it up. A lot of a lot of fans have given up on him now, um, and will struggle to. I think they will support him every time he pulls on the quarters, but they've just, you know, even me, one of the more optimistic Nichols supporters through the years, has just given up on him. And I'd rather see the game time go to someone else, if I'm honest. Um, so I think it is the end of the line. It's going to be difficult for him to come back unless he scores a hat-trick on Saturday. What about you? Do you think it's sort of the end, or do you think he'll sort of say, stay till the end of the season, or will we offload him in Jan? I, I think we'll I think we'll keep him till the end of the season, to be honest, just because I think the only option would be to loan him out in January. And in January, you get the feeling that if we did loan him out, would we loan in anyone better quality? Um, we might loan in another young and hungry Premier League or, or Championship level player. But if if we do that, and um, we could 
let's not forget we could lose Johnson Clark Harris in January. Yeah. If if we lost Johnson Clark Harris, then I'd definitely keep Nichols until at least the end of the season. Because if we lost Johnson Clark Harris, loaned out Tom Nichols and had Adam Bejo and um Tyler Smith at the club, that's two lone strikers and then you've got Dion Moore, who's only on a short-term contract, I believe, so that, that might even be up in January. And you're, you're looking for maybe reinvesting that money from Johnson Clark Harris on on another proven striker, but that would still only leave you with three strikers. So yeah. I'd keep him until the end of the season. Could potentially, bring, could potentially bring Gavin Riley back. Um, it's an option. I'm not sure if Cheltenham are gonna. I think they do like him. He scored five five goals there. I think they may. I'm not sure if they're interested in signing him permanently, but I guess we'll see in January. That could be some more money. But what I will say is that I do have a lot of faith in the scouting team um, to replace to replace any players that do go. And I don't think it's going to be a massively difficult task to replace Nichols, given the fact that his output is so so poor. Um, I think we all struggle to do worse than him. That might sound harsh, but I, I think it's true. Uh, um, do you think we we get rid in January or do you think difficult to know? I don't know who'd take him. Um, maybe on loan, but I, I can't see someone taking his full wage. We'd probably loan him out to a League Two side and take half his wage and try and get someone in, maybe from non-league. It's hard to say. I, I guess we'll sort of have to wait and see on that one. Um, Alex Clements asks, should we give Dion Moore a chance? I know you mentioned him a second ago. Um, sort of been out in the cold a bit, hasn't he? Sort of signed in the summer. On that short-term contract, he he did a dad, dilly dallied on it for a while, decided whether to sign it or not. But in the end, he did sign it. I guess on the pretense that he would get some game time, but he's had no game time at all. So, do you think this is the perfect opportunity to to play him? To be honest, with you, I think that we should have been playing him at the start of the season when Johnson Clark Harris was out injured. Given the fact that we don't have anyone of that mould apart from Dion Moore, he's a, he's a very well-built bloke. Uh, he might not have that much league experience, but he's now featured in, in development side games and and he's shown that he does put himself out a little bit. But when you've got two, well, I'd say lightweight, we've got, if, you, if Graham picks two strikers up front in Nichols and Tyler Smith and then you're pumping 40-yard balls up to their, up to their head, they're not going to be able to control it. Whereas given that target man pedigree of, of Johnson Clark Harris and then also Dion Moore will be lear- surely learning something in, in training from Johnson Clark Harris like I would have given him a chance at the start of the season and I would definitely give him a chance now I just think that if you're signing him on a short term deal and saying alright prove yourself in training and we'll, we'll give you a chance in games just playing in in development squad fixture, fixtures it isn't really good enough. I mean, he must be not showing in training something that Tom Nichols, Tyler Smith and Victor Adebayejo are, are showing, if you know what I mean. I guess it must be that. But I like like I said, he's been on the bench a few times, but even then, Graham's not brought him on. I'd just like to see him get a chance. What about you? Yeah, he definitely needs a chance. I mean, if you can't drop a player like Nichols now after the past couple of performances, then... When is he going to get an opportunity? Um, and interesting, uh, I've spoken to a lot of people. Where I've I've suggested to some some Rovers friends of mine that he he should get a chance. And 
quite a few of them said, oh, I've, I've watched him in dev games, I've watched him in preseason. He's just not, he's not ready. He's not good enough. Um, do you think you can ever really tell if a player is ready uh, until you throw them into the fold? No, to be honest. I mean, we saw it with, with Kilgore uh, last season. Like, I mean, we didn't think anything of Kilgore. We knew that he was a, a young talent that, through the academy, but he went online to a main men, and then we, we recalled him, obviously, when we had uh, a few injuries and the international break, and, and Coughlin threw, threw him in, threw a young player in away at Plymouth, and he gave it a really good showing for himself, and, and he was one of the reasons that we that we did uh, manage to draw that game. And if we had lost that game, it could have been detrimental to our season. So it shows that Coughlin isn't afraid to throw youngsters in, which is almost why I'm surprised that he hasn't thrown Dion Moore in, Luca Hall in, Louis, Louis, um, I was going to say Louis Tomlinson. In. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one Throw him in, throw him in instead of Nichols if you, if you really want. But now Tomlinson, Luca Hall, Andy Moore, I'm, I am even Ron many Like I would have thrown all of them in, in into the team at some stage this season. Not not in the same game, but at some point in this season, we've needed each and every one of those players to 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 come in and, and just prove themselves. I, I just feel that Graham hasn't given those four players a chance, whereas he was happy to give the chance to Alka Kilgore last season. Um, but like I said, it, it must be because they're, they're showing not enough in training or Graham might not, might not think they're ready yet. Um, maybe maybe they need, all of them need some loan moves. I, I don't know. But Yeah, I, mean, I, I think the, that loan move to, to Maidenhead was sort of the making of Kilgore. Um, so we'll see, but uh, I, I really don't think you know you can know if a player's ready until you throw them in, and this is the perfect season to do that, and it's the perfect opportunity to do that for Dion Moore, especially with the form Nichols is in. So I think it's disappointing that he hasn't, but there's plenty of time left in this season, and we'll see where it goes uh, from here, I guess. Um, Jack Lovering asks, we're always in flux between optimism and toxic anger directed at the players and staff. Do you think the fairly extreme reaction to the loss versus Bolton is warranted, bearing in mind the positive start to the season we've had? Where do we draw the line between what is acceptable as fans? A very good question, Jack. I'm, I think the extreme reaction to the loss against Bolton is warranted, just because bearing in mind they had played five games this season away from home scored once, conceded 19, albeit some of them were, were 5 nil defeats to, to the likes of Tranmere earlier on in the season when, when they were playing their youngsters. But, but still, I mean, it's, it is one of the, one of the worst um, home performances in my time following Rovers. Um, not the worst, may I add, but it's just, I think it was actually warranted that reaction to Bolton. I mean, the boos... I think were warranted because we didn't look like scoring if we'd been playing there until three in the morning. And that this is against a side that's, that's conceded 19 in six away games this season. What about they you? Had, Do you um, think it was warranted? Yeah, they had 11 players that injured as well, so say. Um, yeah. So it's even more surprising. Um, it, was, it was a frustrating result. Um, I think Bolton have brought in a lot of quality players, don't get me wrong. Dudu looks far too good and it's quite frankly... 
very odd that they've been able to do so. But at the, by the same token, they're very entitled. They're they're entitled to do that by the book. They've done it by the book. They've not broken any rules. They've been taken over lawfully, um, legally, and they've now had the money to sign the players on free transfers, which they're legally allowed to do. They've done nothing wrong. They, the youth team that they played earlier in the season, they were just doing that to survive so they didn't get points deductions, further points deductions, and get kicked out of the league for not being able to fulfil fixtures. So they've done everything by the book, and I, I think there's a lot of outrage that we have to we had to play a more difficult Bolton side, but that's just the luck of the draw, I'm afraid. Um, Bolton went through a difficult time and have managed to come out alive and kicking on the other side. And it is the case that they brought in all these players. And I think the game against Rochdale they played on the Saturday where they went 1-0 up and then lost 3-1. Around the 60-minute mark, a lot of Rochdale fans were saying that their players sort of ran out of steam and ran out of fitness. I think they didn't seem to struggle with fitness against us. They looked very fit. They pressed us all game. Um, and they were just a better side and I think that's what people were, were frustrated with because maybe they saw on face value Bolton at the bottom of the league they're on minus X points um, They've everyone else has smashed them and we haven't so there's a lot of natural frustration there um, but don't get me wrong it was a very very poor performance from Rovers very poor um, I think that was like, it, like, like we said earlier the formation sort of falling in on itself because we didn't have the key players in the key positions, um, but just the basic stuff going wrong, like throw-ins. There'd be a, a throw-in, we'd throw it to our player and kick it straight back to the thrower and it would go out for their throw-in and things like that. Just all game, sloppy fouls. Basic yeah, yeah. Basic and like you said, we... That we, were just, we were just always going to lose that game. I, I, as soon as we missed those first two chances, it just felt like oh no here we go again like it's, it's another another game where we should win and everyone thinks that we're going to win but we were most we were most punters outside of the football club we were most punters coupon busters really weren't we um, Bolton were five and a half to one or five to one before the before the game and we were nailed on to win and, and just like Rovers we go we go out there and we lose two now <laughs> yeah absolutely and by the same token uh Going back to Jack's question, we always seem to flux between over-optimism and toxic anger. Do you think most football clubs are like that? It's either we're going to win the league or we're going down. Uh, or, you know, do you think that's just natural? A lot of fans feel this way lately, this sort of polar polarisation of football. Or do you, think, um, do you think we're a special case? I think in some cases it's correct. I, I mean, we're definitely um, we're definitely on that kind of spectrum where most of our fans believe that we should be in that top 10 league one or, or even pushing it up into the championship but also those fans have seen us drop down for the conference so we've kind of had a, a massive a massive hole where where we've been in in both cases and now we're kind of back into the middle and it could really go either way I think that's why we have that kind of optimism, also toxicity around around the football club, in that it could all go right one minute and then it could all go wrong. Whereas you look at some football clubs that have remained in League Two for 30, 40 years, and, and they're just happy to, obviously their fans are happy to stay up every year. Obviously, it'd be nice for them to to push for promotion and and have a go in League One, say. But in it's, it's a rarer case in our in our way because we have been up into the championship 
and we've also been down all the way to the conference. So I just think that's the reason why there's that much of a flux between the optimism and the toxicity at the football club. What about you? I think that's a very good point. I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I don't have much else to add. I think you've raised a very good point about the journey we've been on and the fact that we've been through so many highs and lows that we sort of just naturally move towards those high and low emotions compared to other fans, maybe. Um, Adam Craig asks, was that the worst ever Rovers home performance? Now, thinking about it, I can't really think of too many that were worse. But one that does stick out is um, at home to crew under Paul Buckle. The 5-2. Um, that, the 5-2. That, that was mine as well. Was it? <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was Nick Powell scored on like 60 seconds, I think. And then um, about three or four minutes later, so only about like five minutes into the game, I remember Matt Harold equalising um, with the most static header of, of all static headers. Um, and then it was like, yeah, okay, we're going to be fine. And then from kickoff, Nick Powell ran at us, dribbled past three people and scored again. So we went 2-1 down immediately. And then from then it just got worse and worse. Um, but for me, that one definitely sticks out. So you were going to say the same game, were you? I was going to say the same game. And it, it, it was that. And it was also the, uh, I think it was the game either the before or after. Um, we... I think I think it was the game before where we were two 0 up against Plymouth at home. Oh yeah, yeah. At half time, cruising, everyone thought, well, okay, like we're 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 not doing brilliantly in League Two, but this could be the turning point in our season. Matt Harrell got both goals, but it was it was two 0 at half time, and we managed to to concede early on in, in in the second half, if I remember correctly. Don't know who scored, um, and then with about ten minutes to go, we. we sort of crumbled and we ended up losing um three two to to a like a, a stoppage time goal and and it was then and also that then followed by the um crew result really was where we where pretty much every fan in the, in the stadium turned on on buckle and and it wasn't that much later before we uh we, we did sack him so I think those two performances were worse than the Bolton game, but but not by much. Yeah, it's, it's cutting it close, isn't it? Um, a good question here from Denna says, is our ageing fan base a cause for concern? Uh, and if so, is there anything that can realistically be done at the Mem with its leading, uh, limited seating and bad views? So I, th- I think it is a cause for concern, given the fact that obviously City and Bristol City are now in a higher division they've been in a higher division for some time. They've got a they've got a nicer stadium. Let's be frank about that. And they are attracting the, those younger fans to sort of go go there instead. Like we we have got a like Dennis said, an aging fan base. And they on his question, I I don't think there's that much that can be realistically done with the men. Um, I think I think Tom Gorringe is, is trying to to come up with ways that. Will pull younger fans like the old quitter kid scheme that we've we seem to always do, but in the past that really hasn't done much. So I think I think there are options, but it is very limited options in the fact that we we don't sort of have the budget that City do to accommodate that. And if it, if it if we were to take a hit on the budget to accommodate trying to get those new fans and it doesn't pay off, then it wouldn't. It would be seen as a, as a bad, a bad move. Um, what do you think about it, Matt? I think it's a massive concern. Um, 
you need that conveyor belt of new fans, uh, especially with an ageing fan base. You do, obviously, fans age out, don't they? And we, we have, a lot, unfortunately, it seems more and more every week, Rovers fans going up on, on the big screen um, and minutes applauses for Gasheads passing away. And I don't see too many kids around the ground and it's, it's disappointing. And obviously, you look at City and how well they're doing. Um, I have no doubt that in the next five to ten years, there'll be a Premier League side, um, at which case at which point it will be almost impossible for us to sort of compete. And I don't necessarily, people say, well, you shouldn't try and compete. They're obviously miles ahead. You're never going to be as big as them. But it's not so much competing with City. It's competing for the pool of fans. And our fan base will get smaller and smaller as if we do not attract those younger fans. And theirs will get bigger and bigger. And at which point it becomes very difficult to grow as a club and, and um you really start to move down in the pecking order in the football pyramid. Um, that's the main concern, I think. It's not so much we need to be as good a city. It's a fact that if we don't get our act together, uh, we're just going to lose fans and shrink as a club. Um, but let's hope better times are on the horizon and, and some good news can come out this year because, or in the next year because um, God knows the club needs it because uh, we all need something to sort of look forward to in a future that we can all move towards. Um Let's move on to a slightly more upbeat and humorous question because we've had a bit of doom and gloom in this question and answer session. Um, Rob asks, how is it possible that the Northwest Terrace Food Hut can get water so hot in the urns that myself and a mate had to stop twice to put our cups down when walking back to our spot? <laughs> oh, um, it's a great question. <laughs> I've, I've always found in... in most football grounds that whenever you have anything from a tea to a hot chocolate to even a bovril because it's that it's that powdered um that powder stuff especially in hot chocolates and bovrils and coffees by having the water at, at boiling point and the staff will just they'll, they'll pour it to such an extent that you can't get any sort of milk in or, or anywhere <laughs> it, it really does baffle me as well to be honest rob um, I'm, I'm sure we can we can try and feed that back to the club, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I remember um, I remember question. going to Port Port Vale away a, a couple of seasons ago when Bowden scored that equaliser in the second half, and I got some um, it was a one-one the game finished, but I got some bovril at half time, and honest to God, at the full time whistle it was still too hot to drink. It was absolutely boiling. I could <laughs> not; it just would not cool down, and it was like a winter's. It's like a January uh, Tuesday night or something. It just—I don't know what goes into these urns, but like I, I swear to God, like if you get a tea at the Mem and you put it on one of those metal bars on the Blackthorn, and it's gonna like melt through the metal bar and just drop onto the floor. It's so hot. <laughs> I don't know what they do. It's like molten. I don't know what they're how they're heating this water. But uh, yeah, very good question, Rob. Um, next time, maybe just get a bottle of Evian or something like that, mate, and uh, sort of say, so spare yourself Go the for pain. It. Go for a cold. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last last question of the of the episode. Um, another upbeat one because it's been pretty depressing this episode talking about a few negative topics. Uh, Kelly Oxley Reed says it's worth remembering that we've had the best start to a season that we've had in a long, long time. With this in mind, don't you think we should give GC a bit of slack? Last night was shocking, but it wasn't the end of the world. Certainly didn't want warrant booing individual players i know we disagree on that but the main question is do you think fans should give coughlin a bit of slack 
like I said earlier in the, in, in the Q&A, I think that given the fact that this is GC's first uh, first job in management, in actually managing a football side rather than being a coach, I think we, we owe it to him. Um, the fact that he did last season in, in impressive circumstances, really. I think we we do owe it to him to get, cut him a bit of slack when he does get tactics wrong. I just think that he will learn from these um, situations and and hopefully he still will be with us for for a few a few uh, few seasons getting learning his trade and and obviously developing the club and also himself um, as a manager. So hopefully in three, four, five years time we'll have a new stadium and we'll have GC still still at the club. Um, some fans may not like it. I've won. I, I've been impressed by him since he did come in, and he's definitely sort of kept some positivity around, even where there have been some negative um, opinions flying around. I mean, given the fact that, like I said, in, in three, four years' time, we could be in a new stadium, we could be in the championship, everything could be right as rain. But going back to the other question that we had, it, it could all go, it could all go south, and we could be in the conference. It's just one of those things of being a Rovers fan. I mean, we've got we've got several, several, several highs and lows at the football club. Um, like you said before, with the journey we've been on, but yeah, we should we should give GC some slack until until we do reach breaking point with him. Um, obviously, we'll learn that trade. Uh, I think anyway, and and hopefully we'll start seeing um, an improvement from the last two defeats on Saturday yeah. against Portsmouth. Yeah, yeah, well think? said. Well said. Um, yeah, I definitely think so. It's um, given the fact that the budget is so hamstrung and he's stuck with a lot of players who are who are underperforming and who aren't his players on on big wages. He's done very well, and the players he brought in he's brought in have all been, I think, fantastic. Um, from Josh Hare to Go Go to obviously Clark Harris, um, it's been very impressive. And I think he's like you say, he's in his infancy as a manager. Um, what we do know is that we're always going to be solid under him and we're always going to be able to grind out results when we need to. Um, I think he's done brilliantly. Look, we were fourth in the table a week ago. That's um, it's nothing short of a miracle, really, given the, given the resources that Coughlin's had available to him. Um, and I don't really think that the anger on Tuesday was necessarily directed towards Coughlin so much as a few individuals who, who maybe people sort of lost, lost patience with. Um, so I think, yeah, Coughlin's definitely got a lot of credit with the club more more so than I thought he would this season I thought it would be another slog but it's been uh, it's been impressive and like you say let's just see where it goes it's um it's a long season and it's been largely positive so far so let's just uh, enjoy the ride because this may actually be one of those positive seasons rather than one of those low seasons we were talking about so let's just see how it goes um, that's about it for this week gasheads uh, thanks for listening to this Q&A episode we'll be back next week uh, with a normal full episode. Simon, thanks very much for joining me. No problem, Max. It's been lovely to be here. Yeah, thanks for speaking with me. As always, uh, Gasheads, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening and up the gas. Up the gas.